Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Jeff and Casey Show. Hello, and no welcome. No flip-offs. But that's how we start the show. No, I that don't like that. That is the magic. That's part no, of the magic. I don't Those are like magic this. fingers. I don't like this. Magic this. fingers. Anyway, uh, welcome to the Jeff and Casey Show. That's right. I feel like this is going to be another one of those sort of... Another one of those days, mm. if you will. Okay. Because you have decided that we are going to, to go head, head first back into the topic of programming, which always generates some kerfuffle. It yes. generates kerfuffle. Okay. Usually positive, which is actually mm-hmm. amusing. I assume that that's because our audience is self-selecting in some sense. Yeah. Like people who don't sort of share our attitudes for things maybe are less, would be less inclined to listen to the show at all. Possibly. So we don't get a lot of blowback. I feel like if you were just a regular dude... Like you were, you know, one of those programmers or whatever the fuck, and you posted something like object-oriented programming is bullshit, I feel like that goes off the rails quickly. Like yeah. everyone on Stack Exchange is freaking out, right? Right. Like there's all kind, you know, you, the Reddit subreddit is blocking you and unblocking. Like I figure like right. shit goes down, right? But we don't uh, get a lot. But of we that. don't have that problem. Like, yeah. We mostly get people who are rational and supportive or, or simply right. discussing the matter. We don't get uh, uh, the blowback, which I yeah. suppose is good. Yep. It's a good position to be in. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we got feedback from the programming topic that we someone had written in. It was Andrews Liano, actually, who, uh, again, in fact, he wrote back after that, thanking us for doing that podcast, and still oh. didn't include how to pronounce his name. <laughs> I even talked about it in that episode. I'm like, right, say how to pronounce your name. Awesome. I don't know how to pronounce so his name. So this was on the Agile Scrum thing. The Agile Scrum thing. Right. We did a big talk where we talked about a lot of stuff that wasn't so much Agile Scrum. It was more yeah. like I was kind of giving a framework for why I don't think it's that important. Right. And you were talking about how you think there's a different part of the problem that's important to you yeah. and so on. So we didn't really ever deal with Agile Scrum much because we just didn't think it was that important, which I think is true. Okay. Anyway, we got feedback on that one from uh, a couple of different people, actually. And they were mostly talking about what do you think is a good idea to do? Like, it was sort of like, well, okay, you know, if you, if you had to give some more concrete steps along the lines of the things we talked about, because we kind of, in that one, mentioned well, stuff. Okay, right? do they mean, like, for big projects, or are they talking about for their I personal... Personally, I think they're okay. talking about things that you can enact... To be a better programmer. To be a better programmer, not if you're the manager of some large division of IBM, you know, uh, integrating software mm-hmm. integration people or something, what yep. do you do? But more like, I'm a person, I want to program better, I, I feel like there is room for improvement... In my mm-hmm. programming, and I would like to do so, but I maybe don't have a lot of concrete ideas about how to, what should I do? Okay. That, that is basically. And uh, both Dale Kim and someone named Trey, who never includes a last name. Just Trey. Just Trey, but his email address, like the first part of his email address, not the domain or whatever, the first part is side oats. Okay. Now, I don't know what side oats are. Well, maybe that's his last name. I know, like, Trey Sideoats. I know it's like steel cut oats and stuff like this. Uh-huh. So, yeah, he is Trey Sideoats as far as I'm concerned because I don't know. All right. I've got nothing else to go on. Okay. They both wrote in and had sort of similar. I'm lumping their two questions together because, in some sense, they were the same in okay. that way. Uh, so, that's the question All for, right. this, for this episode of Jeff and Casey Show. Is how do we become a better programmer? I guess so. Okay. How do like you there's a, a it's a separate thing of like how do you become a better teammate with your other people and stuff like that, which I'm completely unqualified okay. to talk okay. about, right? Yes. <laughs> like that's just yeah. uh yeah. Um well 
I guess there's a couple things. There's, I mean, the biggest thing I think, and people aren't gonna like this, but the biggest thing is, uh, I think you just write a lot of code. Like, yeah. the big, uh, and, and if, and a lot of times that comes down to, oh, there's just nothing that, you know, interests me. And I'll just say the easiest thing there is just pick something small. Okay. Grab an iPhone game that's tiny and just replicate it. Just okay. do it and like oh, don't, you don't mean fucking like, sell it. Someone else's iPhone game. Just make go and like, like or go just go do that whole process once and you'll learn okay. a lot of stuff. In terms of how to become a better programmer, there's some weird kind of other things. Okay. Um, publish, put your code out there for other people to look at. Oh, you'll get and and try to write a library that other that that but somebody what will might that use. Do? If you put something out there like, oh, hey, here is my uh, Zlib right. decoder, yeah. all right, you're going to get a lot of feedback on that depending on if you get, you know, if, depending on if people even see it. But, but a lot of it's going to be wrong. A lot of it's going to be like, where's the C++ wrapper and this shit? Totally. Like, like, so but you're going to you get feedback. Know. Yeah, I mean, you may not be able to tell what's good and what's bad. Right. And and hey, that's going to be true at your work too. Like you're going to yeah, be getting your manager saying, yeah. like, we really should switch to this or that right, or whatever. Right, right. You're going to get mixed feelings, mixed mixed feedback there too. Yeah. But you will get. It's very easy when you write your own code to get kind of lost in uh, in in not in your own stuff. Like, yeah. this is the way I do it, and then da da da, and then somebody else. As soon as you talk about it with somebody or someone else looks at it, it's like, why didn't you think about this? Even if it's wrong, it'll let you at least think about, oh, I never thought about that. Um, I never thought about organizing it. So, like, I'll give you my little pet peeve. is 90% of the uh, encoders or decoders of particular file formats yeah. put the encoder and decoder all in the same thing. Okay. And I hate that. Okay. Okay. Like, Get, split those off because okay. they're rarely going to be used in the same program. Okay. It's very, I mean, it's, they do happen when you're right, writing a paint package. Yeah. But most of the time you're writing a loader. Okay. Or you're writing a tool that reads in something and, write, and I need to just write that. I don't okay. need all that other stuff that I need to get working and maintain and all that. Yeah. It should just be one thing. Um, and then the other thing I would say is start Well, it sounds turning, like there's a separate problem in there in some sense, right? Which is that... The fact that there is more maintenance work necessary for the encoder and the decoder than just either one of them separately, that to me is sort of a red flag to begin with because there should be no more maintenance work to the end user in getting both of them running than there is in getting either one running. But oftentimes that is yeah. not the case. Oftentimes it's like, ah, fuck, it's like calling all extra functions in yeah. the encoder that's like using some Windows thing. or like So really I would say there, there's almost a meta thing wrapped in the statement you just were, which is like, why is it even an issue? Like, why would porting one, for example, or linking one right. create more problems? I mean, linking both create more problems yeah. than linking... Because yeah. normally... The, and I mean, I can tell you what which, they are. You know, but, I yeah. mean, like, hey, the issues... A lot of the issues you'll end up seeing with this are like, hey, the encoder allocates a shit ton of memory and has a lot yeah. of complicated code that it drags in yeah. that are from other libraries. The decoder needs none of it. And usually the encoder is running on a PC and your decoder has to run on everything. And so having them together means I now need to figure out a way to decouple those. Yes. Um, so th there's, that, there's that. I'd say the other thing is spend a lot of time turning on the debugger in disassembly mode. Yeah. And then look at what 
what your code is doing, and you won't understand it at first. Okay. You'll be like, oh, you get all the symbols, but you'll start seeing patterns. Like people are ingre- incredible at discovering this stuff. You don't need it a lot of times. You won't need an assembly book for a lot of what you're going to do there. Most of it is self-explanatory after you've looked at it for a while. Okay. Get used to doing that because you're going to start seeing things like, hey, this line of code generated a shit ton of stuff here. Yeah. Um, and you, you can start thinking about the fact that that's a heavy, like... Right, right. That, because it's generating, that means there's a lot of stuff happening. So, there, you, so. The, meta, the meta thing there that you're basically saying is... is understand the machine. Be aware, yeah, be aware of what your code actually is doing yeah. on the CPU as opposed to just semantically what you thought it was doing in terms of the language that you happen to write it in, which yeah. is really not actually all that relevant at some level. Yeah, right. Okay. Yep. Um, no, I, I, yeah. I agree with that. That is a problem. Like that's especially a problem when they start in in situations where you know if people learn programming at like college or something, and they teach them in Java or whatever right. the fuck. So there literally is no assembly language to look at because you would have to first get the JIT to run and then right. look. I don't know. Maybe there's debuggers now that let you let you do that. In the old days, there certainly weren't. I was uh, talking, you to know, because it's just the bytecode. You could look at the Java bytecode, but that ain't gonna tell you anything. I had um, an interesting so. talk. I was talking to somebody the other day about how he was saying how little, uh, how often, how much most of his programming is not based on algorithms and like strong computer science stuff. Mm-hmm. It's all based on like how can I make this more robust? How can I make this um, run on more? Uh, platforms easily okay and uh, and he's like that's just not something you really spend a lot of time with in writing code writing things that are um, you know you spend when you go through college especially you spend a lot of time on kind of the design of the thing that you're writing right and then the air day-to-day programming is not a lot of that it's like right like writing, you generally come up with your skeleton of what your story is, yes. and then you spend a year doing all the day-to-day tactical writing stuff of like, I got to fill this whole story in. So yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess I would say on that front, like this touches a little bit on what I said in the original one, which is just that there's oftentimes in in actual production code, there's usually a very big difference between what you would have known was the optimal thing to write and what you actually wrote. And the reason for that is because of this elaborate set of trade-offs in terms of what's going to be the easiest to maintain, what's mm-hmm. going to be the easiest to debug, what's going to be the easiest to deploy, what's going to be the easiest to port, what's going to be the quickest to do, because right. every... What can every, I hand off to another program? Every, yes. Every hour I spend on this is an hour I'm not spending on some other yeah. piece of code, and was that other piece of code more, expen- more uh, important in terms of the success of this uh, particular whatever we're making? I don't know what mm-hmm. you're making, but whatever you are making. And so you end up in a situation where, uh, unfortunately, yeah, like a lot of that stuff, I mean, there's definitely cases when you are on the forefront of algorithms, when you are pushing a certain envelope there, and that's definitely, depending on what sort of code you're working on day to day. I think at RAD, uh, that does happen fairly frequently. There's like, you know, times during the year when you're going to push on some part of the product, and you're doing something that no one's really ever done before in that particular segment like if you're doing the you know um like certainly on granny we did some stuff you Mm -hmm. know that was like no one's ever done this particular thing before that we're doing or whatever so we're kind of pushing forward into that space where we're like how do we do this algorithm in this way or whatever right um so occasionally that happens but it is not the majority of what you do that's more of what a researcher does at some level you know like 
So it is true that m the vast majority of the work on the products that you do is is the day to day. Yeah. How do you? And you're making a lot of. It's mostly about dealing with trade offs and not about oh. Yeah, like the optimal way to phrase this problem so that it ran in ON time with the but you know, you it'd be interesting if that was most of your job, but it's yeah. not. It's really yeah. not. And that's the thing you do uh and you you get probably a skewed perception of it because if I'm going to go give a paper on like what did we do on grain that was cool, I'm going to write up the new algorithm thing that we figured out that people hadn't done before because that's the paper, but but that was three weeks of my year, right? Right. The rest of the year was all the mundane shit that makes this product actually function as a product, right? Right. And you know, and I think that's true of most projects. So you get the impression because when you look at the things, you're like, oh, you know, we went and we saw the Crytek engine paper or whatever. Right. It's like here's this cool lighting thing they figured out. It's like okay, but actually that dude's year was not implementing that algorithm. It was all the shit and like, oh, meshes had to come in with the different UVs to make the algorithm work. So I had to work on the pipeline to right. break them up at the right stage and ah, oh, fuck, that was too slow. So we had to optimize it for the artists because they needed quick turnaround. Like that is what you will hear from those people when you ask them like, what did you actually spend your day to day on? It wasn't the month it took them to come up with the cool lighting algorithm right. and perfect it, right? Unfortunately, right. Uh, that was not, it was, it was, those days were sparse, like we're interleaved with all this other shit. Um, so anyway, but. Yeah. Well, in the programming, the other thing that's hard just in terms of this subject anyway, is you have this thing where uh, if you're a good, being a good programmer um, is a separate thing than shipping products a lot of the time. So like, you have this weird thing of you've shipped a product, but you might be ashamed of the code that's inside there. That happens a lot. With well, if, if you're not, you probably aren't looking that yeah. hard. Like, you know, I definitely have. So it is. I yeah, mean, that, that's yeah. that's a weird thing. Yes. It's like I think uh, filmmakers are comfortable with their film as it looks as being representative for the work that they did. Whereas we. You think so? I you think, don't think so. they're mad. They're like we could have done better on that shot, or man, that's so ugly there. We didn't I have think the right that lighting. They, I think that they're critical. Okay, but we're like, we're critical of things that our end users don't see. Like, hey, okay, that's true. This app runs. It right. does everything. Right. It may even not have any bugs that people see, but I know underneath it's fucking There's bugs in there. Yeah. Disaster. There's shit going down. Yeah, I mean, it'd be like. Uh, oh, I made a painting, but I happened to know that the painting was made with radioactive materials. Right, right, right. And it's yeah. slowly deteriorating. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're just like, I hope yeah. enough uh, people see this before the painting dissolves. Or, so. Well, I definitely, yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, I mean, so one thing I would say that you sort of, that, was, that slipped in there too, uh, that's, that's worth emphasizing, is I feel like getting a single code base to compile on many platforms... Mm -hmm. is definitely something you should do. Yeah, that's that's just like, everyone should do that and get comfortable with doing that. At a minimum right now, I always, and, and you know, I may end that's up... That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I may end up switching away from this a little bit just because, you know, um, I'm so sick of Microsoft that I may even not even compile on them anymore most of the time. But I generally do stuff like, okay, my laptop is Linux and my desktop is Windows or something. Right. So that I'm always compiling and running correctly on at least two platforms right. all the time. That's a good point. And I feel like that's a good habit to get into. 
I wouldn't necessarily push it to an extreme because of the thing we talked about before where nowadays a lot of platforms are just actively hostile. Mm-hmm. You will just waste a ton of time just trying to fucking get the, the build to execute on your iPhone or whatever the fuck because of the signing yeah. and all that stuff. But on any platform that's relatively open, on any platform that you can just write code to and run it, it is worth taking some time and going, I'm going to write a thing. And I am going to learn how to seamlessly deploy this code across many platforms in a way that isn't ugly. I'm going to yeah. take a look at that. And, you know, uh, you need to sit down and go, what, what are the actual operating system services that this depends on? Let me isolate those out. Let me have a clean break so that there's just some files in a directory that's like, here are the different platform-specific files. There's the Win32 one, there's the iOS one, whatever. I've got them in a directory. And then there's another directory that's got just the code that compiles everywhere. And that's most, it should be 99% of your code. So you just have the little, right? Right. Doing that is a good exercise because it will, it will force you to think about an API boundary in a place where you can't really fake it. Like... Every other time that you do an API design exercise, you can lie to yourself because there isn't some actual overarching thing. But you know when you're doing this exercise, if you start having a bunch of if defs all throughout your code, like pound if within 32, you know you fucked up. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's different when it won't fucking compile if you did the thing wrong right. versus, oh, this API isn't quite as good as it should be. Right? Right, right, right? So I think that's a good first step and everyone should probably learn to do that. I take it for granted now because most people that I know just know how to do this. And I actually, um, the first... Uh, thing that I worked on after I got out of high school was actually a project that ran on multiple platforms. And so I, right off the bat in the commercial industry, was uh, sort of accultured into this boundary thing. And I feel like that was a very good experience of of learning that that is how something should work. Right. Uh, And And that doesn't mean using Java or something that abstracts the differences. You want to like, you want to think about Different compilers, different yeah, tool yeah, yeah, chains. Yeah. I want you different to pick, ways. Right. Of, yeah. I want you to pick uh, some situation where you are interfacing directly with the operating system, so that you have to handle the uh, the wall off. Right. I'm not talking about yeah, I like downloaded Glut or something, and it had a bunch of shit that I called, and I don't know what kind of work. Like, not that. I'm talking right. about you directly call the operating system. And so I don't know if you can do stuff like that. Uh, I suspect you maybe can in Java. I'm not sure. But obviously in C, you can totally do this. So right. just do it in that or whatever the fuck. And do a Linux version. Do a Windows version. Uh, maybe do a Mac version. But unfortunately, the thing with doing a Mac version is you've got to write an Objective-C. I don't feel like that should be part of the exercise. I don't right. give a shit about Objective-C. Fuck platform vendors that make you write in, in different languages. I don't <laughs> care about them. So that's not part of the exercise. That's, not that's drudge work that they're right. making you do because they don't care about you. Right. And... So I was thinking more focus on the you, focus on the you getting a better programmer and, mm-hmm. and doing that part. So I would say that that's probably a pretty good idea. Yeah. Um, but anyway. And sorry. this is about, this is, I mean, the advice I'm giving at least is very much about programming and not necessarily getting things done, <laughs> which is a separate thing of like, yeah. Uh, hey, if you want to be a good programmer, unplug eventually every one of Just those little. Just unplug the internet. Well, let's say you write that's something. tip number one. And you're like, I'm using this library, this library, this library. Yeah slowly go try to write one of each one of those yourself so you understand right, right, like yeah. hey i didn't just cut and paste this code i actually right. 
you know, uh, I actually wrote this, I understand it. Um, I think there's some things that just become good habits that you get into that you're forced into by limitations of language too. So you try using something that's a little outside your skill set in terms of like C or uh, instead of C++. Try to use something with some constraints because you'll think a little bit more about the fact of what's going on, right? So, yeah, and I guess the thing, the nice thing about C as well is it kind of is well suited to the thing you were saying before as well of looking at the assembly. Yeah. Because one of the nice, That's true. One yeah, of the so. nice things about doing it in C, if you're doing this exercise in C and you were going to combine them, so I'm going to do the OS thing, right? Right. Is C, so in my opinion, C was the last time someone came up with a great language. Like, I'm just going to put that out there. Like, mm -hmm. I have not seen a language after C that was great. Every language that's been after C has not been very good. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I think that C is the best language to write everything in right now. Yeah. But what I mean is, for the problem domain that C was trying to tackle, they did an exceptionally good job. Yeah. And there's plenty of... I've heard the same thing about that, that Go is like that for tool sets separate like when you're writing tools it's supposed to be that good there too what do you mean by tools like hey if you're writing something um where you're trying to just when you're when you're trying to do get stuff done and actually be like i just don't want to have to think about allocating memory for the string while i'm doing this and this the standard place you'd use php or uh uh uh, whatchamacallit, Python or whatever. I've heard Go is actually really good for that kind of thing. Well, but again, so I would... So I'm just saying... I would object to that. Now, I have not used Go. I mean, I have seen Go. Mm -hmm. I have not used Go. So I would suspect that if I went and looked at Go, I would strongly disagree with that attitude. Yeah. I'm, and the reason why... I'm saying people that I actually respect, I think, really like it. But so. I will say the reason why. The reason why is because... What is the problem domain that Go was trying to solve, right? And if it really was making quote-unquote tools, which I guess mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly what that necessarily encompasses, right? Mm -hmm. I strongly suspect that compared to how well C abstracted assembly code, which was its goal, mm -hmm. I bet Go blows by comparison in terms of how easy it is to create tools, if tools is the thing that you were trying to make work really well, I, I bet it's not even 0.1 Cs. I don't, we could bit. find out. My, my, guess my guess is if you want to make something that is a good tool building language, uh, having something with an insanely huge, big, reasonable uh, runtime is a big part of that. And it's, the runtime is but supposed that, to be amazing. But that really has nothing to do with the language. Well, no, it does because a lot of the things that make something where your runtime actually abstracts nicely uh, need need certain things that are language dependent. Like, well, no, but what I mean is the runtime library is separate from the language. Now, you can say that a language is good for making runtime libraries, and that's a totally fair statement. Yeah. But I would say that just a language that's good in general is good for libraries. But yeah, that's a separate issue altogether. But so I'm saying yeah, the fact that there's a huge runtime library has nothing to do with the quality of the language. Uh yeah, it depends. Like if you're saying that like Python has a massive great uh runtime library apparently, right? Like yeah, everything is in Python. Mm -hmm. But I'm pretty sure that no one has said that about Python, although maybe yeah. they have. Yeah. 
Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so continue. So yet you liked C is your last big one. The C's, the other C- nice thing about C is at least you're going to be aware of what's going on because you're going to be able to look at the assembly. You're not going to be able to look at the this assembly. This is what I was going to say. So I was going to say yeah. is C, you know, as a language, just designed to sort of hoist up one level from mm-hmm. assembly language. And it did a spectacular job at that. It's not perfect, all right? We need a new one. We mm-hmm. could use a new one even of that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but whatever. And everything after that has pretty much been garbage, in my opinion. It has been it has been things that get some distance along the trying to do shit, but it in no way approached the degree to which they were able to solve that problem yeah. elegantly. It just did just didn't even yeah. come close. Because there's so much that you would want to do. Like let's say if you were writing a language for writing tools like that. I suspect I would immediately go, okay, this is a toy. Like, go, compared to how well C abstracted assembly for me, the readability gains, the like ability to uh, to share code with it, to read the, you know, to basically to write things and leverage the sorts of things that people were doing by hand in such a good way. I suspect that Go is nowhere close to the same leverage gain. Yeah. Is I guess what I'm saying the that that ratchet, but I, there are ways I bet you could get that ratchet, and I don't think they got them. But we'll see. Yeah. So my cursory inspection of Go, which when it first came out, I read uh, when they were sort of explaining it, like here's what we have. I was like, this doesn't impress me at all. Yeah. But you know, yeah, I would say the 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 other. I haven't thing, programmed in it, so yeah, I have to withhold yeah. judgment. Um, I would also say what a am I problem about? with I Go. I didn't withhold judgment. I have to withhold final judgment. Final judgment. Yeah. Um, I would also say the big a big problem with Go is just the lack of really good debuggers is is and that's a big part of being oh, a programmer that, and being aware. They don't have that. They, you can't just. It's just GDB and whatever. I don't know if they have um, Visual Studio bindings yet, and I don't know how well CGDB works with it. I have no idea. You'd think that if, although I guess Google mostly uses they use Gubuntu, right? That's the yeah, standard. They're deployment or? mostly Linux as far as okay. Yeah. So yeah, so then they can't run yeah. Visual Studio anyway. They I'm sure play. they do have some people, but they they go to crazy extents to like build other platforms with their server farms. So I yeah. I know that by default okay. it's not a lot. So but, anyway, but yeah, it is hard to on. it's hard I think it's hard to become a good programmer personally if you don't spend a little bit of time looking in the debugger, interacting with the code in this way uh where you're watching the thing code it's very often you can have code that runs perfectly fine but you're really not aware of what it actually is doing until you step through manually and actually watch it happen. Yes. So, so I would agree with that, and I think C is a good language to do it in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's simple to learn. Yeah. It's not a super complex language, right? It's simple it's to also learn. The you nice can call simple. most operating systems from it now, yep. um, you know, and whatever. And, uh, yeah, and it's a good language, yeah. right? It'll also focus on, uh, like, you'll be writing stuff uh, that is... It's not a great tool for writing think tools and shipping stuff. Like, I mean, it, you, it's totally possible, but it is slow going because, like, hey, even doing something like getting a window up in Windows is actually right. a lot of C code. Right. Um, but that's okay when you're just trying to be get. You're, yeah, we're, we're, we're talking. Exercise. We're talking yeah. about the exercise of becoming a better programmer. Yeah. Like having to grind through all that stuff yes. and then think about the fact of, hmm, that's really ugly to create a window. How would I? 
put that into a function right. to call that would bring up, up the window yeah. that also brought the window up on Mac OS. Yes, like, exactly. How would I do that yes. is a good exercise. Right. Yeah. So if you don't already know how to do all these things and you haven't already gone through those experiences, those are definitely the baselines. Like, let's do that. So if you're getting out of school or whatever and you haven't had the experiences, go do that stuff. Start... Yep. Do it in C, see what the, the assembly is, understand what's going on, look at the difference between release and debug assembly, mm -hmm. learn that shit, and do the abstraction layer, learn how to get that going, make it clean, make it nice and perfectly separated, right. so you literally have no, in the code, of, you know, in the shared code on the platforms, there's no hint of the... Uh, the lower level stuff that's being abstracted for you, you know, get all that stuff going and that's all good. That's all kind of day one shit. Like that's mm -hmm. the shit you should kind of just have under control. Yep. Um, I think as things go forward, I would say there's a couple, couple things to watch out for. So thing one is that your metric should always be what is the efficiency of this code in totality over the lifetime, over its lifetime, right? A lot of times people, you see stuff and, and uh, like I can remember like going way, way back. In fact, right before I went to RAD, I definitely had this problem where I didn't have a good critical filter for what people were saying was good programming. Right? Because I don't think about this at all now. It doesn't even enter my brain because I'm so past it. It's, I'm so over it, if you will. <laughs> uh, but there was a time in my life where I definitely had this thing where, you know, you'd read a book on, like, how to program properly. Like, you know, Effective C++ by Scott Myers or something. Mm -hmm. These books are shit. That book doesn't have a single tip in there that will make you a better programmer. Not one. <laughs> but I read those books and was like, oh, this must. This is how good programmers program. They they like fucking put private and they put the operator equals in there so that people don't copy backs or something, right? And the thing is, basically, you have to kind of be you have to be the dude who figures out that the evangelical dude who says like you're healed, like walk now, my child. Those are fucking snake oil salesmen. They're preachers who ask you for a thousand dollars to send you a prayer cloth. They don't know anything. They're just the people who have figured out how to make money selling shit about code. Mm -hmm. And what you need to do is you need to develop your own critical reasoning skills to look at things that people proffer or say worked well for them or that you should do and figure out, would this actually save me programming time? Does yeah. this save programming complexity? Will this make my code more efficient in the long run? Will it make my code easier to bug? Will the amount of effort that I need to do this thing meet or exceed the level of debugging? Because one of the things I see sometimes is they're like, great news, guys. We figured out this new programming technique that makes it so you won't have like this overwriting buffer bug or whatever. And it turns out that overwriting buffer bugs take you six hours to debug over the lifetime of your project. And this thing takes seven days right. over the lifetime of your project doing, right? And a lot of C++ systems are like this. They spend a shit ton of time up front to save what was a tiny bit of work you would have been right. doing. And you're like, these don't add up, guys, right? right? And so that's... And, if you're, and, and, and that might be different if you're writing stuff that's like security software or whatever. But if you're still at the point where you're thinking about... If you're writing security software and things like the string, you know, string cat and uh, string copy are, are the place where you have a lot of security problems, like just changing that stuff is not going to be that all that important. Well, right? I like, wouldn't actually say it that way. I just say like whatever you're writing, 
you know what the requirements are. Yeah. Right? You know what your objectives are. If you don't even know what your objectives are, then you need to go back to square one. You should yeah. know what it is. So if this is security essential, whatever it is, right. right? And then you need to go, what techniques would actually be the most effective to ensure the things I am trying to get? Right. Right? If you're trying to get performance, if you're trying to get whatever it is that you robustness, need, or if you're trying to get whatever all it is that those, you need, yes, you need to think about yeah. how okay. much time sure. will this thing save me that I'm going to do? Will it save me any at all? And mm -hmm. will it more likely? Is it more likely to increase uh, these things that I want in the end goal? Right? It's yep. all a global trade-off. And there's a couple. There's some. There's some nuanced bits of that. Uh, one that I have problems with a lot. And I try to be better about it now, but one that I typically have problems with a lot um, is code mutates over time. And so when you're writing code, you need to write in f more flexibility at the head end. And then the flexibility tails off as you get towards the, mm -hmm. uh, the, the tail end, right? Okay. And what I mean by that is it's tempting sometimes to write code properly for its current use case first. Yeah. In fact, you do this, I do this way just, too much. Yeah, yeah. You're way worse than me, but yeah. I still am bad. Which is like, oh, I see, okay, I don't want to do an extra buffer copy here because that'd be wasteful. So I'm going to do it in place, I'm going to do this, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And the problem is you're doing, when you approach a problem and go, I see what the optimal thing is to do here, and you do it, then what happens is you spend you expend this energy, which you probably shouldn't have expended to do it right. But worse than that, later on you will find you're going to have to change that yeah. because the requirements or the thing that you thought you were doing mm -hmm. changed as you experimented with how you were solving the problem. And now you've wasted time twice, essentially. Yeah. Whereas you've just done the stupid thing, you would have been fine. Right. It's under the category of premature optimization is the root of all evil, as Knuth said. Yeah. But, it's, but it's more than that because it's not... It doesn't just apply to optimization. It applies to anything you do in the code. Leaving your code space is important. And that's not just about optimality, it's about feature. So if I can do something where I give myself a little more room, this thing needs to be able to scale, well, maybe I'll let it do scale and cropping. Just because I'm gonna do that so that I can just call it and know that I can get that thing to happen. While you're in that piece of code, while it's fresh in your mind, have some awareness about what this thing might be able to do. Do the simple version of the relatively featureful thing yeah. so that it's there as the code matures, you will have it there to lean on yeah. instead of doing the bare minimum thing in the most optimal way, which will then you will find yourself constantly having to yeah. revisit, expand, well, unoptimize would... and re-optimize. Yeah, and, and I guess no the the... the... There's, it's, it's hard, yeah, that's a hard one to describe because I also will say 90%, at least for me, 90% of my bugs are bugs in things that I tried to write before I was using them. Yes. A feature. Like, right. write what you need uh, is important, yeah. but don't, uh, don't be like, all right, well... Eventually, I'm going to need to sort of material here, so I'm just going to have this here, and then. But I'm not going to okay, use yes, this for a long true. time. Yes, so it's a, a having, but that's a different thing. I might than, say, you know, here's, you're, here's but you're, one, one, but you're talking about code, code flexibility, yeah, not feature. feature yes, it's true. It's so said, different. So it's very, it's very. Yes. You're right. It's a. It, so let me say it this way. It's let me related, say it this way, but here's a good yeah. way to say it. I think. 
don't write the code in the way that makes it harder to add those features that might be added later. Yes. So you don't have to put the feature in, yeah. but don't do something in a way that's going to box off the code at the early stage. When you put the code in, try to do it in the slow but flexible way first right. so that when you come through later, you will have an easy time morphing it into the thing that it actually needs to do right. rather than finding yourself to keep revisiting it. Right. And that's that's just giving the code room to breathe and yeah. I, and that's important. And I, I do it that's, better now, but I'm still I could be better even than I am and I know that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that is uh the hardest thing for me. You are that, that is about. why I don't I, mind there saying is, it. there there is an extent of a complexity of a problem I can tackle. Yeah. Because I will write that code in in what I call in my head the right way yes. right from the beginning, yeah. which means at each step, if I figure out the more right way, <laughs> you have to go back and revisit that. And so you end up with this horrible N squared thing yeah, where you're yeah, like yeah. right up yep. and then you write back down yep, and yep. then you write up yep. and then you write back yep. down. And that affects the scale of the, si the, the size yes. of the things that I can tackle yes. because that is. Well, your N has to be low. If yeah. you are N squared, your N has, has to, to be, be low, low because it's when true. it hits the critical point, yeah. there's no turning back. Yep. Yep. Um, there's no, there's no recovery, I should say. So, another another thing you can, people can think about when there is to become a bigger programmer is a bigger programmer a, a better programmer. Right, let's say bigger. bigger, bigger I like programmer. that to be becoming a bigger programmer. A bigger, Jeff and Casey's guide to becoming a bigger programmer um, is be more systematic about the things that you fix in the terms of okay. like okay you have a bug like and once you have a bug and it's reproducing uh, you can fix it. And sometimes they're hard, sometimes they're easy, but all at the end of the day, they're not that bad once you have something that reproduces. But try to keep track over a couple months, what is the thing I keep getting bit by? Like, what are the, what are the problems that I yeah, keep getting bit by? Yeah, that's a good idea. By? And you may yeah. be surprised at like, okay, idea. over and over and over again, I do X. Yes. And if X is something that is a change that you can do, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is something... Yeah philosophical or something just about you as a programmer like me i have a very hard time psychologically working on stuff that i know is suboptimal yes. before moving right. on yeah and so that but that limits me but yes. it's also just a psychological how i am yes so uh you may find that out about yourself which is useful information it's good to, to have. Know. Everybody it's good to has know. Even their if you little can't change it or don't change it. it, it's good to know yeah. what the situation is. And right? sometimes you'll be like, all right, you know what? Every single one of these bugs at the end of the day really had to do with this particular trait that I do in my code. Is that something I can fix without much? And it also yeah. might be a case of aligning your priorities. Like you do a good job of working on the kinds of problems where that isn't an issue, yes. right? In some level. Mm -hmm. It's like... You know, if you know that you have a certain psychological mm -hmm. way that you program and you don't think you're going to fix it anytime soon, yep. can you put yourself in a position where that is not a weakness? Yeah, I, That's, there's nothing wrong with that. I, that right? is, don't be a linebacker if you're a quarterback. Don't yeah. be right. Like, that think, is, what's that your is body what's type, the most right? important thing at RAD is finding those things that people, where their, their little superpower is and putting them yeah. in that place. Yeah. So here's one thing that I will say. Um, uh, well, okay. There's there's a bunch of stuff now. Having to try and kind of kind of go back and unpack all the yeah. all of the things, pro tips or whatever. Uh, so there's a couple things that I'd say about uh, coding. Looking back, 
on the bug front that you just talked about, like what kind of bugs you have. So one thing that I've said often and that is totally true, and I swear I'm not making this up in any way. So people often ask me why I hate const, because I always say I hate const. Mm -hmm. So sometime around 2001, I stopped putting const in at all. Mm -hmm. So like around the Granny 2 time frame. Yeah, so you were heavy const. So Granny before. 2 uh, has const at the interface layer, because so yeah. I know people like it, but mm -hmm. be below you there... You don't want to force people to keep it. Yeah, below there I didn't use it, and in my... Personal products now, so everything after granting to, there is literally no const. Const does not appear in the code base. Mm -hmm. So people ask me why I don't use it. It was like, and in that time, so in what will be coming up on 15 years, so a decade and a half fairly soon here, I have literally had no bugs where I write to memory that was not supposed to be written to. Mm -hmm. Zero. Yeah. And the point there is just I know myself well enough to know I never make this mistake. Mm -hmm. It's just not a mistake I make. And mind you, I have bugs in every time. Every time I sit down and run my program, there's a bug just like everyone else. So it's not a case of me not making bugs. It's just that's not the bug I have ever. Mm -hmm. Once you know that, then you can stop using things to prevent that bug. If you know you never have bug X, stop writing, stop you. Don't type const if you don't have to type const. It's yeah. lots of stuff you saved, a lot of typing you saved by not having that, right? And I think that that's sort of just a, that's just sort of a way to reinforce thing I was saying before about understanding the time and where it goes. If you know that something you're doing is catching bugs, then that may, you can evaluate how bad were those bugs probably likely to be. Like I kind of know mm -hmm. what they were and how much was the effort to catch them, like what was I doing? Was it just typing const? Was it something more elaborate? Whatever. And that's the kind of trade-off you need to make. If you're the type of programmer who never makes a const mistake in their code, you don't, const is a waste of typing for you. Yeah. So stop doing it. It was completely worthless. Mm -hmm. If you are shipping code to other people who need const, you put it at the boundary layer, but otherwise you're fine. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of stuff like that. It's like, but okay. So the important thing to take away from that is not const, you don't use const. Right, right. Because you know you you've thought about this critically, yes. and then it for you it doesn't make exactly yeah, and and that's what people should be thinking. It, it isn't necessarily like say it, it, a lot of these. In fact, a lot of these programming pearls and programming tips and all this are just like here's a list of rules to follow, right? Which but it, is it's, really it not programming's not like that. You it's know, it's psychological not. and weird. Yeah, yeah. Like I I do still use const in places yeah. pretty much just for strings. Yeah. And it's almost like it's something for my fingers to do while I'm thinking about what to fill in the function with. It's like it feels uh, good in a way. Okay. Like, and I don't love I – don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't think it's ever fixed a bug. But it's part of the psychological part of like what is the way that you cause you causes you to type stuff in. Okay. Yeah. It, and there's lots of things that are like that. But just think about those things like – I feel like for a lot of people, C++, the reason they use object and classes there is not necessarily because they like object orientation or because they necessarily get anything out of the V tables or anything. It's because it provides them a mental framework to start typing code in. Like right, 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 I type right. class, I type, class, I type yeah, public, yeah, yeah. and then I do th – it's right, like right. it's one of that's these ways to jumpstart yeah. your typing. Yeah, yeah. If that's what it takes, it's what it yeah. takes. It's just right. what use what you do yeah. and then think about 
well, what and, you're and, doing, like, like, and, and artists are better about this than programmers are. Right, they have a artists process. Artists are, are thinking about their well, process I, First all I the do time. this, and then I yes. do that, and that produces grass right. that looks good or right. whatever, right? And they evaluate after, like, ah, oh, that did, I didn't like the way they, they're right. a little bit more fluid yeah. than we are. Well, so, and the other thing that I would say is on the, con on the flip side of the cons thing, so let's say I was the opposite kind of programmer where I'm always fucking getting it wrong. Like I'm always yeah. writing to shit that shouldn't be written to and whatever. That's my thing. Yep. <laughs> then, then what I would do is I would literally, my default method of coding would be that I would have mem protect shit going, like when I build in debug, it would like mem protect it <laughs> out the ass. Yeah. Like everything would be getting its own pages. I'd be mem protecting and unprotecting on entries that exits the function. Like I would design my programming style around catching this bug because I know that it is my worst bug. Right. And I have it all the time and it's hard to detect because that would be right. writing to the memory you shouldn't be writing to, but that doesn't cause a crap. Like it's not null pointers. I'm talking about like, I right. wasn't supposed to modify the structure. If for some reason that's a problem you're having a lot, then you want to structure your coding style around yeah. not having that bug. And so I do stuff like that all the time. Like for example, um, uh, I do clear to zero a lot, which is inefficient. Mm -hmm. You don't need to, you shouldn't be clearing to zero, right? But my way that I always code now is everything always gets cleared to zero, period. And then if I find that I need speed back, I will go at the end and do just the init that I need. Right. right, because I find there's a lot less bugs that everything's always zero, mm -hmm. because you know it, the thing runs the same at all times. And mm -hmm. in fact, there's data, there's good backup data that this is a common problem too, because like a lot of studies have been shown across large code bases. Microsoft Word had one I think where they're just like uninitialized variables is a massive source of bugs. And I'm like, you mm -hmm. know what? We can eliminate that right now. Mm -hmm. Done. The system always returns zeroed memory. Yeah. All members are required to be zero at yeah. the start. Stack's like, hard. What? The stack's shitty. You can, I still get you do have stack problem problems. Stack. That's true. You do yeah. have the stack problem. Uh, for, yeah. Fortunately for that, that one I don't ever really have yeah. because I use declare anywhere you don't, which I guess is harder. Mm -hmm. But I use declare anywhere, so I just have every variable has to get a value on the line. Oh, so okay. in some sense, I still do use declare to zero. If for some reason I was programming in your style where I can't use declare anywhere, I'd set them all to zero right there. Yeah. I'd be like, when I do int x, I'd be equal zero. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. If you can do, yeah, yeah. So yep. there wouldn't yep. be, even though the it's, variable it's initial in, value is It's zero, just not enforced that, right? is the reason. And when things aren't enforced, at least for me, I yeah. find that it's yeah. hard to. But I don't find that that's as big of a problem for me. Yep. I find that if I do have uh, uninit un problems, they're usually un on, on stuff that came back, on heavier weight stuff that came back, a heap stuff. Um, so I, I just you. say that shit gets cleared. I don't super um, have but, a lot of in it issues yeah. personally. That's not usually the one. I have really, I have stuff all the time where you're like, this code path does do an init, and this other one didn't. Okay. And now you're like, Oops. all of a sudden, why is this? That happens yeah. all the time, but that yeah. init doesn't usually help that. So yeah, so I'm fine with that. Like, like I just was using that as an illustration that mm -hmm. it's not like I'm like, oh, you got to get rid of everything. It's like, no, no. I just I know what kinds of bugs that I have in common with everyone else, and I know mm -hmm. which kind I don't, and so I protect against the mm -hmm. ones that I do, and I don't protect against the ones that I don't, yep. because you know your brain works in a certain way, and there's bugs that you're just not likely to have, yeah. and there's other bugs that you are, and so you might as well focus on those. There's another good thing that people can do, I think, that uh, is useful um, in terms of uh, getting better, too, and that is when you work with somebody else on a project, uh, when you're working on their stuff, follow their style. Just hmm. like, don't like, Hey, if you're in here and you're on this project, 
Just go do, like, when you edit their files, use everything the same way. Try to use their case. Try to use their weird way of doing it. Try to just get used, just do that. Not for because it'll, not because it's better or not even necessarily because you'll learn something from it. Yeah. But keeping the flexibility of like, this is why my, I, I know why my, my style is better. Like, okay. This is, it, it, normally when you're looking at your own code, it's very hard to an analyze. Like, why is this code sucky? Right? Like I wrote this. I did this is, I know exactly how this works. Okay. It's a set of ifs. It's, it's very, I, I can think about it. I don't have to analyze it in a way. I just, because it's all right there. It's in my personal I'm not sure flavor. I follow you. Um, what's a better way to say it? I don't know. If I could, I would say I would say, you. I'd say, I feel like it's harder to be critical on code that you have written yourself versus code that other people have written. Okay. When you look at somebody else's code, it's very easy to go, here's where I think my mind is ambiguous on why is this after this? Why do you do this check here and then do this other piece of code here when this piece of code really belongs with this one? Why does... Why is okay. there this clause okay. in the middle of this? And All you're right. like, well, that really should be up there with the other thing. Okay. I think that in your own code, it's very hard to see those kinds of like, where, where, when I'm reading this code, where does my mind become confused about what's happening? Okay. Because you wrote it. Like that's still right. kind of pre-warmed in your head of like, oh, of course, that's just this. Whereas as soon as somebody else looks at it, they're like, wait a second, why do we initialize this variable here and not up here? you're like, well, because we didn't need it until then, like that kind of thing. And so it can be useful to use right in somebody else's style just because you'll either, maybe you will learn something. It's not my, uh, it's not my experience that you do, but you will become, you'll get better at looking at code critically beyond just does this code work or not. You'll get, you'll get used to looking at code for things that are like aesthetics, like, this is cleaner a way to look at it. This is a nicer way to do it. And I think that following somebody else's style is a good way to like uh, uh, become better at that. So I'm just going to let that one skate because I have no idea what you're talking about. But maybe the listeners do. Yeah. And so they can take that to heart and I will just Well, you might be happened. really good at – you might just be good at looking at your own code and being critical about it. I find I that when I write code... I don't understand what that's... But I'm saying I'm letting it skate. Let's okay. let that slide because I think it's not going to resonate with me. But let it, <laughs> let's let it resonate with anyone who it happens to resonate with. Right. And we'll leave it at that. Um, what I'm saying is you should write all your variables, with all your variables for yeah. a week using one letter. Yeah, you are all about the one-letter variable names. Yeah, me and true. Sean. Yeah. Uh, so what I, would, what I would say moving on, mm -hmm. if, we could let, if we can just pass over that... Uh, so just thinking about some things maybe more on the advanced side of, of shit. So when I think about stuff that has gone poorly, mm -hmm. bad situations. So one thing that definitely has happened to me multiple times is, I guess I, guess I would, so I would phrase the, the, the nugget, the, the cautionary tale if you will, is always assume, or rather, there probably is a net win overall 
to treating all of your code as if it is shipping to a customer mm -hmm. instead of just the actual code that is yeah. shipping to the customer. Yep. And the reason that I say that... You shouldn't that, have two mo. I 100% I agree with that. Well, so I'll, I'll be a little more civic here. So one thing that happened to me many times at Rad, and in some sense the injury is ongoing, <laughs> is that I would write a tool for my project mm -hmm. that I just Get like, repurposed. whatever gets shit into this thing is fine because I'm mm -hmm. just trying to have this thing work for doing my thing yep. so it can be the ugliest, nastiest, fucked up, barely running thing. Mm -hmm. And that's fine because this is not going out the door. I think I've done that four times at Rad, and three of them are still in yeah. use on most of the projects because they got disseminated, repurposed, fucked in the ass by new code that yep. other people wrote. They are bolted together like a Frankenstein monster at this point because mm -hmm. they weren't running well when I was using them because they only barely worked. And now they're, they're that plus other people's shit code. Yep. It's like... Some of those are just nightmares, mm -hmm. and they have probably cost a fantastic amount of money's worth of time if I had stopped and gone, okay, you know, having in hindsight, looking yep. back. Because all of them I wrote when Rad was three people, really. Yep. So I don't blame myself too hard for this, but if I could go back, I'd go, hold on. <laughs> These things always take on a life of their own. Yep. Things get reused way more than you think they will, and the fact that they're shitty is not a reason why they won't get reused because you have to think, why are they shitty? Mm -hmm. They're shitty because I had something better to do and I just wrote what I had to do. Everyone else will be in the same position and then they'll go, I could just take this thing <laughs> that someone else shit out and save myself the time of shitting it out. Yeah. They will then use it and add their shit to it. So if instead you look at it and go, all right, if I'm going to make the first tool at my company or in my space or whatever that does this thing, I should just stop and go, let's do reasonable software engineering. Take a little yeah. more time. It's not that much that it will take because the amount of time you will spend debugging and that other people will spend debugging and that other people will lose because the tool is shitty over the next 10 to 20 fucking years. It's been mm -hmm. 15 years at this point yep. for some of those tools. Yep. I run tools You will that, save so much yep. time. I still, I have a... You run tools Marge that I wrote in 1999. I have a lot of tools that I wrote that I used when I used to program in Turbo Pascal. It's scary. Yeah. So I still use a lot of that stuff. I, I, yeah. I very much resist that kind of change. Just, and it's usually because I'm too busy not to. I'm like, yes. ah, fuck. And, and, and it's yes. that small thing where you take that like 5% hit forever and you go, yeah. wait a minute. In retrospect, I, I, I'm burning all this time. Yeah. But it's way easier to burn 5% of the time over a long period of time than losing 100% yep. like when we have to do – because you get into these situations, especially when you have things that live for decades, Yeah, where switching is almost impossible. Where you're like oh, everything would have right. to grind We'd to an entire no stop going on. to yeah. a halt for yeah. a month. When are we going to all be at a point when right. I can burn? That's the get thing from Perforce. I've been meaning to switch forever. Right, but everything's Perforced up. Well, I mean, the more practical problem is, is at what point can I shut everybody down for three days or four right. days or whatever, five days a week, right. whatever it takes right. to move over? And it's like the right. answer is, well, none. We're never at that time. So, like, eventually we'll do it. Right. But if there's... the. When you, when you have your own control of that, I'd say that's very good advice. So 
I assume will, that you assume. That I have a meta you, piece of advice yeah. as well. Try not to write On stuff there. that's in tool mode. Yeah, it's just like don't do it. You know, and I don't. You know what? Learn. Your customers might learn. be inside yeah. or outside of the company, but they're still customers. Yeah, and like you might as well do it right. Yeah, because uh, you'll be surprised. And I don't, I don't learn the lesson. I should have learned the lesson. I didn't really learn the lesson. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you now. Maybe you are younger. You will learn out there having this piece of. You will having this piece of advice from me. You will be able to internalize it earlier and not have a pattern of these mistakes, which I would say that I have had. Mm -hmm. And you can avoid that. And so that that would be potentially a good thing. Uh, I would also say, as a meta piece of advice, one thing that I always did. Uh, on all of my internal tools, was there a prefix with my name? So, <laughs> so you get blamed for it forever that's, and ever. That's what I was gonna say. Don't do that. <laughs> my, I'd always name them. There was like there was like crappy Casey's retargetable API. Mm -hmm. That one. Don't say that. Just make it rappy. Make mm -hmm. it retargetable API. Get the Casey no, out get of there. Get the Casey okay? in there so you can call K them up. CDEP Casey's mm -hmm. dependency generator. Don't. Nope. It's just DEP now. Right. Mm -hmm. Take the C off the front of your tool <laughs> because then when someone's like what is this garbage i can be like, I, I think jeff wrote that or whatever right i can i can there's a plausible deniability that happens <laughs> and now the other it. thing you can do if you want to take it to the next level and i don't know that you do but if you do put somebody else's put name. somebody else's name oh that's awesome right? i could have called them Jarappi or jdep Oh, and then it's like, whose fault is this fucking pile of shit that we have to use? And I'm like, oh, Jeff wrote that. I think it says right there on yep. the front. You know, on the byline, it says Jeff. That's even getting. That's what I should have done. That, I didn't even you think You sort of it. did do it with Perforce. Do you remember why? Yes, but it was the, accident. No. It wasn't volitional. The, deep, I the, the, the initial depot was yeah. rad, yeah. but then we didn't like the layouts. And I was like, yeah. this sucks. And you're like, let no, me no, make a new not, depot. No, 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 that's not what it was. And it's called Jeff That's not what it was. What? What happened was when we originally were going to use Perforce, we tried initially going the way that Jay had done it at Valve, where each person has their own repository. Oh, right. So there was a KCM and a JeffR yeah. and whatever, right? Yeah, and that but then it was it. like, the fucking Perforce is such a piece of shit that it made it that impossible. It's like, <laughs> fuck it. There's just one. Right. And then we were like, so I just deleted mine and moved all Put my shit to JeffR. So, I mean, I didn't every do day it on like, purpose. Why? It was just, that was the, yeah. I was like, I was like, well, I'm not going to be at the company forever. It's your company. You yeah. will. Yeah. So I'm like, it might as well be JeffR. So it's not 30 years down the road. Casey doesn't work anymore. And it's KCM is the master repository. Yeah. I felt I made the logical decision. Yeah. I get right. screwed with the master Jeff R, which is my name but because it started fault. out. That's your fucking fault. But it started okay. as this is the CDEP master okay. for Jeff. Yes. And then somewhere yeah. along the line, yeah. everybody's but using it. But that is your fucking no, fault. No, it is. But master it's, Jeff it's, R is your fault. Yeah. We don't need to bring the listeners into that. Yeah. They don't need to know Master Jeff R. CDEP and Master Jeff R. <laughs> if, if you had to go, like, it, when, when you and I go up to Programmer Heaven and we're at the gates and they're, like, that deciding whether to let you in. All the rest of the shit that we may have done right, that's not going to be what gets focused on. They're going to bring up Let's talk about CDEP, and they're going to be like, what is this? Yeah. And I'm going to be like, it's his fault. You're going to be like pointing at me going, it's his fault. And they're going to send both of us down to programmer. <laughs> that. that is true. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so moving on. Yeah, so I, I think those are, those are generally the case. And I would say that that probably extends to code to a large extent as well. Which is, there is an overhead. Uh, co code, in some sense, when you think about code, code is definitely a language, and I think it op it occupies language skills, sorts of parts of your brain. Like, hmm. there's a lot of words and things and semantics, and these semantics are fluid 
in the fact that they are constantly getting redefined. And what I mean by that is if you look at what you do on a daily basis, when you're moving into a new code area, you're going to write this thing, you're going to write this image loader or whatever the fuck. What you are doing when you design an API and when you functionally decompose that space, when you make the code and you make the thing, you are essentially coming up with a new set of semantics for that thing. How do I say I want to load the image? What comes back from that? Mm -hmm. What do I then, what can I pass that to? What, are the, what is the grammar of this new thing that I have made. It is all very linguistic in that way. There are things that do and don't sound right, and some of them are not rigid. They're not, it's not science. It's mm -hmm. a very fluid thing that's much more like language going on there, I think. And I feel like what happens a lot there is very much like, oh, you know, I was in Britain for a few weeks and I kind of picked up a little bit of an accent. Like, there's this sort of thing that happens was when you are working in a particular piece of code, your brain is warm to that semantics, those rules, how things work in there, mm -hmm. how the code works. You are familiar with a lot of what the functions actually do at a low level. You have a lot of ability to make quick progress without making mistakes. And when you go work on some other piece of code for a few months, that becomes more stale. Now, if you're a good programmer, I think most good programmers, it doesn't become too stale. It's not like you're going to go back there and go, I have no idea how this yeah. thing works. I, I don't know what I'm looking at. Because usually your style is very consistent and you did things. Mm -hmm. You know, Good programmers tend to be very meticulous and repetitive about yeah. how they structure things. So your brain always has this bit of information that's how I structure things. And when you come back, you will see and you'll go, oh, okay, this probably worked like this. This probably worked like that because that's the way I would have written it, blah, blah, blah. But... You still, there are some things you will forget. You are not as ready to speak that language fluently. Mm -hmm. You're still, you're a little bit hindered from when you were at your peak. Yep. And so the thing that I want to emphasize there is sometimes uh, you have to respect the trade-off. I think, I think if John Blow were here and he had the third microphone, he would say something like, always do the simplest thing or always do the minimal thing and move on. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is I, I take a position a little further to the, you know, down than that. I think that there is a cost to always doing the simplest thing and moving on and revisiting later when you need to go. And the reason for that is because there is this in paging in cost that because it, is, it is, takes time to get back up to the same level of fluency with any particular piece of code that has any level of complexity, you will introduce more bugs Mm -hmm. You will be slower at doing what you're doing. You will end up rewriting something that didn't need to be written because you didn't realize there was an easier way to do it because you weren't all paged in. And so I think that when I look over my history in programming, I think there are definitely a number of times when I did that lazy evaluation process, which is a good idea. It's not you don't want to over-engineer. But a lot of times I feel like if I'd just gone... No, okay, this is a pretty core thing. Let's do it right and hard right here and get it so that this is bulletproof. Slap a regression test on there. Make this a pretty solid thing mm -hmm. as if I were shipping it as an SDK. Make that call. And so I guess what I would say is as you get to be a better programmer, I don't think you want to fall rigidly into one or the other camps there. I think you want to think about it that's, I guess, why I say that I would disagree with John on that. But maybe mm -hmm. I wouldn't. You know, I don't know. I want to speak for him. But I know he said this uh, publicly and stuff.
my opinion on that is you want to make judgment calls. You want to get good at making judgment calls about when is the most efficient time to do work. Because if I can say I'm going to spend another week on this thing and really get it solid and good as a real thing, that's oftentimes a good idea. And so don't let the fact that lazy evaluation of code, you know, you know just-in-time code, mm -hmm. that that is a generally a pretty good idea, don't let that dominate the thinking because it goes both ways. Mm -hmm. And you, I think, are actually the person who taught me this. We've had this discussion before mm -hmm. where you're like, remember, yeah. you should do it right. When you know you need something, do it right. Take the extra time to do it right because it will pay back, and it does. Yeah. And so learning to make that judgment call It's also just so important. cheap, generally, to do it when it's fresh. Right there, yes. Yeah. And that's the key. It's, that is the yeah. key observation is that I, no matter who I've ever seen programmer-wise, even if they don't think so, I've never seen someone who really is as good six months after the fact as they were that day. Yeah. I just, I don't really believe, maybe there's an idiot savant out there who like, no, all the code is in my head, man, and that's true. But for 99% of the programmers out there, they are worse six months down the road. Well, it's a psychological thing, I think, a little right. bit too. And again, maybe somebody's psychology is different, but it's like there's something very psychologically satisfying to finishing something with all the corners sanded off and nice and finished and then moving on, yeah. then walking away knowing you're going to have to come back to this. Yeah. So there's part of that is psychological, at least for me, of like this feels... Yes, it. Yes, I'm less efficient. Sometimes I don't use the code again, but I feel better. And how you feel has a big impact on how effective you are. Oh, absolutely. Like, like if you're, if you know, that's that's yeah. the bigger cost of shitty code than yes. bugs. And if you're then, kind of, then, if you're constantly else, walking like, on uh, jank, walking on jank all the time yeah. definitely has a, a psychological cost as well. Yeah. Because even if you, even if somehow the total time cost didn't work out to be different. The not having to constantly stop and revisit a piece of code to fix a yeah. bug in it or add a thing that you didn't do, uh, that just-in-time interruption definitely has a psychological toll, I think, yeah. probably to it for yep. different people. And so assessing that is also part of that problem. But just So being aware of that, I think, is, is probably a pretty good idea. And I think the, the, I say the linguistic thing, and I really do mean it at some level because I don't know That's if anyone's, an interesting way to think I don't know if anyone's ever I had think... this, but... I think about. I'll give you a concrete example. Yeah. But you can keep it if you want to. If you want no, to no, finish So I give you a concrete example. And I'm hoping this will resonate with some people. I think it will. So when I come back to a piece of code, and you have to internalize this in, in, your, in your head. So I write a lot of code. Mm -hmm. There are a, there's a file, let's say, it might be 5,000 lines of code, right? That's one of multiple files in a system, potentially, that I'm working with, right? Mm -hmm. So we have, you know, tens of thousands of lines of code that are relevant to maybe something that you're doing. When you come back to that, you can tell not just in a theoretical sense, but in a practical sense, it would take hours for you to even read it all. Yeah, right. Okay? So just stating the obvious, you're not going to read six articles you know, six magazine articles worth of text in 15 minutes. It's not going to happen, right? And so what I feel like sometimes I'll come back to code I haven't seen in quite some time. And I look at the file, and what I realize is it's like gibberish on the page, that first second. And I don't know, you think about this, try it sometime. Go back to code you wrote a year ago or something. Open it up, 
It's like gibberish on the page. You look at it and it's like, it's almost like my brain's like, I don't even know what I'm looking at at some level, right? Work with the code for a few hours and all of a sudden it's like you know everything, you, you just know everything that's in there. It's like there's thousands of lines you can't, you aren't even seeing and you know, you even have a sense in your brain, at least I do, that they're there even though they're off mm -hmm. the screen. And well, that, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like there really is, I feel like, a very – it's like coming back to a book again. And there really is this thing about your brain really does generate this whole model of the thing that doesn't persist. It doesn't persist fully. And you come back to something and it's cold and it really is just a bunch of text yeah. on a page that you can't read very quickly. And then when you get back to it, you're not – you think you're looking at your code. You're not reading your code. You knew the code already. You're seeing mm -hmm. little bits of it, and your brain is immediately knowing what that for loop does. It didn't read every bit of the for loop. It just knew what the fucking for loop did. Right. And that's, it's important to appreciate that because when, if you don't stop and think about that, you may think that really what you're doing is just looking at the code. And I could look at this code now or look at it later, and I'm still looking at the for loop. It's like, no. One time you were looking at the literal symbols on the page, parsing them, figuring out what they meant, building a model of it. And the other time, a day later, two days later, whatever it is, after working with this code for some time, you just fucking know. And your brain accessed the thing that's like that for loop, and you knew everything it did, right? right. At least if you're a good programmer, you did. That's how I feel. I don't know. Maybe you don't have that feeling. I don't know. That's for me, mine, the way... Uh, the. It, I don't know if I use the same part of my brain. My part of my brain, I feel like, is way more spatial. Like the shape of the code, the way the f code is, whether it's dense or light, or yeah. it's very simple stuff. So there's not very many columns and huge yep. runs of that. And then that that part stays fairly strong with me for a long time. Okay. That feeling of it. So when I see things, when I've lost that. I have a much harder time. Yeah. Then it's like really slow going until I get bit really used to it again. Um, and then where, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. But, but. I guess another way to say it was intuition or something like it plays a much bigger role in your code writing than I think people appreciate in the sense that I didn't sit down and go, okay, an octree is a thing that splits space into eight subdivisions, and this is a recursive function that recurses through the octree, and it gets down to this level, and it does blah, 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 and so I'm going to put the thing that inserts an entity into its free list here because it will have these implications. That's not what actually happened. What happened is my brain has completely fucking internalized the octree code, the whole goddamn thing. And when I thought insert an entity, I immediately thought of where that goes. I see. Right? And it wasn't, it was not a cognitive process. In a year, it will be a cognitive process. I'll go, what the fuck is this function? Okay, block update entity. What is that doing? Okay, there's an octree here. Okay, here are the split planes, yeah. right? And like, so the modifying of that octree code after the I week that, that I wrote it, the weeks that, in the week that I wrote it, it's all just, it's instant. It's like I yeah. just know where everything goes and what everything does. And I don't have to think about it, right? Whereas after that's not the thing I've been working on for several months, 
and I've had no interaction with the code. When I come back there, yeah, I still know how a fucking octree works. I may even know how I wrote this octree. But I don't just immediately know. And like you said, it's almost spatial. It's like, that's right here in the yeah. file. Like, I could fucking point to it if you gave me, like, a big listing on a wall. I'd be like, it's over here. Yeah. Right? And it's that, it's that brain, that huge acceleration neural structure that you built in your brain that it doesn't laugh. It yeah. doesn't stay intact. It, pay, it goes away a little bit, at least for me. Well, I also find that for yeah. me, I have... I'm constantly mapping what I'm doing onto my set of shapes. <laughs> like this yeah, is yeah, one yeah. of those. Yeah. And then if I have that to hang on, yeah. then I usually have a good way to get started and getting to work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, that could be completely personal, but yeah. yeah. Well, I tend to work on larger code bases. Mm -hmm. So you're also doing very, you tend to also work on a lot of different things. Yes. I tend to refine. But so that's why I do tend to lean on semantics a little bit harder yeah. because I need a lot of names to sort things through. Yes. Whereas if you know you have a lot lesser names and a lot more uh, operational mm -hmm. stuff going on inside those fewer names, then you you know yeah. then you're talking more about the bodies of functions and less about the functions. And at that point, yes. you tend to be more spatial because there is no name for a line of code. Right. There's just a line of code. It doesn't have a name. Well, right. unless you're one of the people who puts a label every line. Right. There is no you know, name for a line of code. And so at that point, you are definitely spatial. And I'm that way too inside the code. Yeah. I can see it. It's like, oh, here's the lines that do the thing. You just, your brain immediately goes, that's what it is. So I right. do agree. It's absolutely a spatial thing. But then sometimes as you get bigger and bigger, you know, semantic, you know, you got to start being linguistic about that sort of mm -hmm. thing as well. But yep, yep, yeah, yep. either way. Um, yeah, yeah. So I don't know, trying to think of other things that maybe we haven't touched on. Coding things that people, you know, if I had to say right now, I feel like uh, I. This is why I think I was talking about this on the previous podcast. Uh, I feel like right now the reason that I emphasize the tools and the language problems a lot is because I feel like at this point I can identify a lot of things that I do poorly day to day when I code, um, and I realistically just don't think they're going to get any better without tools. Right? Like, like. I feel like I've made the trade-offs I can make with the languages and tools that I had, and the problems, you know, when I, when I hand something off to someone, I'm like, yeah, I know why this was shitty, or I know what the problems are with this, and I just didn't feel like it would be an efficient use of my time to have done this better. Like, I feel like I made good decisions about the trade-offs of time versus what was going on, given the constraints I had, right. uh, and that includes experimentation. Like, sometimes... I build experimentation into the project, which means it's not as good as it could have been if I didn't experiment with new system X, right? So right. all of that is true. Mm -hmm. But in general, I feel like, nope, it's like I pretty much handed off something that was the most efficient I could have done in this time period, but there's all these fucking problems with it that I can immediately identify. So it, I am very far from being able to hand something off and go, no, I think it's all done right. 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 And, you know, uh, with Granny, I hit some more higher levels of that because it, I worked on it for many years and it kept getting refined and refined. So I can say, like, yeah, there's a lot of parts of this that I think are done really right or something like that. Whereas things where I did for a month or two, it's like, no, you know, they didn't have that kind right. of refinement, they didn't whatever. But on the whole, I would say my day-to-day -day programming has gotten pretty efficient in terms of the trade-offs. But the problem is it's only gotten efficient in terms of the trade-offs, right? right? It's like my code didn't get all that great my trade-off balancing, I think, got great. Like, if you had to say, yeah. you know, what makes a great programmer these days, it's not the fact that the code was great. The code's 
better maybe yeah. than a, than a non-great programmer's code, but it's better because they made the trade-offs right. They did the trade-offs as good as they could. And what I'm more interested in now at looking at and going is like, well, most programmers I know would probably say the same thing. They, they wouldn't be like, oh yeah, this, you know, I shipped this game and whatever, I shipped this thing and man, the code is so good. There's nothing I could have fixed about it. It's like, nobody says that. Like, no yeah. one's going to say that to me. They maybe have certain parts that they're like, yeah, I really, I spent some time and it's really great. This yeah. one part is really great. The rest of it, they're going to be like, nah, it's fucked up. I could have made this better. I could have done this. This part's slow. This was sloppy, whatever. Just like I'm going to say about whatever thing I do. And so what interests me more going forward is like, hey, what can we do to start eating away at that part? What can we do that's like, what can we do that starts allowing programmers who have hit the wall in terms of the trade-off efficiency? So we know these people could go, take 10 years to write this piece of code that you wrote in two months. What do you got for me? Right? Mm -hmm. We know that they would end up with something better than the two-month job. Why is where? How do we you know close that? And I talked about that a lot last time. And I think that that really is the main thing we need to start focusing on in terms of improving stuff. Because I would like to stop having to be all about the trade-offs and all about giving advice like on this, where it's like making better trade-offs instead of saying make this pristine code. Because right. honestly, the truth is you ain't ever never gonna make that. And if you do, if you are shipping pristine, pristine code fairly routinely, it probably means you're not getting that much code done is mm -hmm. the problem. You're, you're making that sacrifice. And I feel like maybe... Or your domain is so fucking small and... Well, know. that's what I mean. You're not getting much... Yeah. You're not getting a large body of work done yeah. that you could have been getting done if you accepted something else. So you're not making the efficiency trade-offs, perhaps, in the most effective place. And so what I'm interested in mostly when we look at code things is figuring out how do we get past that barrier that I feel like a lot of programmers hit eventually. And it's after a long time, but they hit eventually. Because I think that will make it better all throughout the process, having the tools that allow you to do that. But I don't see, unfortunately, I really just don't see anybody making any progress in that area. So yeah. I feel like it's going to be half one of those things where some bunch of really production-oriented programmers are going to have to stop for a few years and go, we are going to really try to solve this problem. And it's not some fucking random CS research fellow somewhere who shits out a new interpreter or like a web dude who makes another dollar sign oriented programming language or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's It's got to be people who are like, we've been in the trenches, we know what the problems are. How do we start leveraging up the efficiency of these things so we're not making so many trade-off decisions every day and we're just doing the right thing every day? Right. What, where, you know, how do we get there? Right, right, right. Because like I said before, I think a lot of, there's a lot of good programmers in the game industry anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of them know how to write code that's better than what they're writing. And I'm interested. There's just no way to do. And it. I'm interested in looking at how do we give them the ability to write the code they know is good. And I think there's a lot of things baked in there, like a lot of rapid iteration stuff, a lot of reuse stuff that we could do that makes it so that when you sit down to do this algorithm, you can quickly experiment with what you believe is the right thing to do, rather than going, oh, all right, well, if I write a fucking thing to do that that's going to take a week for me to get that working and blah blah and well, then, also, then that's you know i'm getting out of that yeah space and also thinking about things like oh hey when i'm writing this i'm thinking about it and not the writing of it right which is yes exactly. all, always how programming yeah. is right now yeah which is very rare like yes. you're not what yeah. programming is yes at, at least at this stage is not describing the 
constraints. It's usually right. like yes. figuring out how to describe those constraints in the language, well, it's, it, you know, which well, is it's, weird, which I would, is different. I would different. actually say it's worse than that. I would say it's a little bit worse than what you're saying. Because when you're a novice programmer, it is exactly what you said. Mm -hmm. But when you're actually an expert programmer, I would say that the problem is it's not even figuring out anymore. You already know, like, yeah. you're not even, it's not figuring it out, it's doing it. It's like, right. yeah, you know, you know how to sit down and get A yeah. star implemented or whatever, but it's going to be a fucking annoying ass thing to do. Right. It's like, it's not, it wasn't right. a figuring out. Yeah. It was just a, it was just a right. time that happened. And it was, it was a lot of cruft work. And basically you're constantly, you're, you're caught between two really bad options. Like, Option one is you use a quote-unquote higher-level language that's slow as fuck and doesn't mm -hmm. debug properly and has all these drawbacks and whatever and still isn't fucking high-level, which is right. awesome. Like, you go up there to supposedly high-level and it's still not fucking high-level, right. which is amazing. Mm -hmm. That happens. You're like, oh, I'm going to write it in Python. And it's fucking still low-level, basically, right. right? It's like, so it's higher-level, but it's not high-level, I would argue. So you can do that and have a piece of shit at the end, but at least maybe the iteration time was slower. It was a faster, rather. If you assume the debugging worked at all. Maybe it's mm -hmm. actually worse because the debugging's worse. Or you go low level and you have to write, you know, a bunch of manhandly shit. Mm -hmm. But at least the debugger works well and the thing you get at the end will be performance so you can judge the speed aspects of it accurately and see what the machines are doing. Both of those are bad options. What you yeah. wanted was the high level thing that was efficient. Like that's what you wanted mm -hmm. and you couldn't get that. Yep. And so, you know, it's interesting to go, how do we start, how do we start looking at really let's talk about coding not as a set of those trade-offs, but rather as a what is the op what is the real optimal thing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even anyway. separately. Yeah. 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 No, I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah. It's it's weird how much of the time when you're given a task to do, most most people who've been programming for a long time, if you say this is what we need to do, it's not writing that that's hard. It's like the two stages of well. How am I going to do that in the language that I use? Yeah. And then B, how do I do that in the language that I use that other people can use it? Like, right. If, the, the, the abstracting it to a like, well, where thing. where are they going to get the memory? Like, if you're yeah. writing it for yourself and you just allocate the memory all over and like fuck it, and then you're like, right. well, no, I have to yep. do this thing so it can be used. And then you're like, well, that kind of ties into the OS level, and so right. now I need, and so you end up yeah. with this thing where. What you originally started out of, there's yeah. a very generic thing that has nothing yeah. to do with the OS. All of a sudden now you're thinking about like how the OS does its backing yeah. stores. For, yeah. And you're like, where did, Copy how did right I get flag there? And, the, yeah, you're you're like, like, uh, yeah. and yeah, and you end up in that situation, like that's the classic thing, right? And then you're like, oh, well, okay, well, so we use a language with garbage collection or something like that. And then now you're yeah. in a situation where like, oh, you shipped it to someone and they had to use it on the PS2 and there was no memory. Yeah. And so they had to pull that part out. And now you have to actually go back and do it. It's like. It always comes back, like, everything comes around in both ways. Mm -hmm. you, no matter which road you pick, you end up in trouble. And, yeah. you, and the reason that I pretty much always write things in C uh, ends up being just because that's the route that I've found to be less hassle, actually, mm -hmm. at the end of the day. But it's always a trade-off. I would much yeah. rather be able to do high-level stuff in a way that I could push down and get the efficiency that I need. But, yep. you know, but that's not realistic, yep. right? So, oh well. Yep, yep, yep. Life goes on. Well, um, Any other how are we going to summarize this? Mm. Well, I think this is a, it was a discussion about things, I, you know, I, I think we listed a number of things that over There's the no list uh, in, in terms of, there's no magic bullets. There's thinking about the code you write. Yeah. 
thinking about, hey, I got nothing to done today, done today. Why was that? Was it, oh, I didn't really want to do it? Why did you not want to do it? Is it hard or is it because you know you're going to be touching old code? Just yeah. thinking about analyzing the way you work and that doing that is probably the best way to get better. You're yeah. going to think about, even if you don't figure it out, just thinking about it and not in like a, I'm going to feel guilty about it. Like I didn't get anything done today. Yeah. Don't look at it like that. Like, why didn't I? What? I, I, you really didn't want to write this? <laughs> yeah. Why is that? What, what about this problem is bad? Like, and and it, that's not to fix that problem. It's just to be thinking about getting used to analyzing the way you do things and then figuring out uh, – you'll find out a lot about how you actually work that way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Uh, no, I got nothing else, I don't think. Nothing. I mean, I'm sure there's a hundred things I'll think of since we did this on the fly, but – um, That's true. Yeah. Well, I, I guess we could also say, um, as sort of a semi-point of reference, so I will also point out that reevaluating how you're doing things frequently is definitely also important mm -hmm. in the sense. Like, for example, I used to use a lot of C++ before I came to RAD. Mm -hmm. And at some point uh, during the end of Granny 1 and when I started Granny 2, uh, I'm not sure why I decided to do it, but I think it was just having the fact that people at Rad were more C-ish, and you were definitely a you were like a straight C dude. I mean, mm -hmm. you didn't even compile on CPP. Yeah, right. It's, yeah, still don't. Um, you do you you use I, CPPs? I you use have Declare anywhere. Yeah. Well, I, I yeah. use CPPs for a couple of things. I use Declare any, anywhere, and I also will sometimes use constructor destructor for automatic. Yeah like profile counters and stuff like that, oh, that do in and out. Like, so I will use a few features now and again, um, but I just don't ever really use any C++ quote unquote design patterns. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so yeah, I mean, I see nothing wrong That's with using though. C++ features if you know why you're using them and mm -hmm. they were a good idea. Totally fine. I just don't like the like, oh yeah, we have person class that, and then employee inherits mm -hmm. from the person class. And you're like, nope, yeah. don't do that. Don't yeah. just stop that. Uh, so anyway, but yeah, I would say I used to do a lot of that, and then Granny 2, I tried, what I did was I said, well, okay, I use C++ here, there's templates in the math library all over the place, and handles, and there's classes, and all this shit in Granny 1, and I'm like, for Granny 2, I'm going to start with C, and I'm going to see what C++ features mm -hmm. I start to type in, and instead of typing them, I'm going to try doing them without them, and see what it ends up looking like. I just decided, let's see what C looks like versus C++ for a number of things. Because when I grew up, I only programmed C. I didn't have a C++ uh, mm -hmm. background at all. Uh, and so it was really after I got out of high school that I started programming C++. And I programmed that for about five years before I came to RAD. And then I, you know. And what I found was that it wasn't good at all. I was like, none of, like, everything got better when I stopped using C++. It was just like, it's just better, period. Like, all these things, inheritance, classes, templates, they are just worse. Mm -hmm. Like, not a little bit worse, not, not some of them are worse and some of them are better. They are actually just all worse. And I was like, all of these patterns that I used in C are better. They're more stable, easier to debug, faster, more, like, everything was better. So I was like, okay. I answered that question for myself. Mm -hmm. I now know fairly definitively that C++ is ass and I'm not going to use it anymore. Mm -hmm. And... So at some level, and, and the const was similarly. At some point, I was like, why the fuck am I typing this? I'm like, mm -hmm. has it ever caught a bug? And I was like, I can't think of any time it ever caused a bug. I'm going to stop typing const. 
And the first time I hit a bug, I will reevaluate. And I never hit a bug yeah. to this day. And so I think those are important things to do because you, will, you can get into situations where you're doing something habitually. And if you never stop to reevaluate that yeah. and go, is this actually a good programming practice? You know, think, and if you can't figure out a way to measure it, that should be a red flag too. Like you <laughs> should be able to think about how, what makes this code good or bad. If you don't even know that, then you need to go back to square one and start thinking about it. How can I tell if my code is good or not? Because that's important right there. You need to know, you know, when you look at this stuff, whether it's producing better code, you need to think about what that means. Because if your entire conception of what is good or bad code is like people have told you to put stuff in the private section of the whatever, and that's the way you're thinking, like rules that someone said that some programmer told you to do, you, def like, you need to get past that right away and go, what is actually causing code to go out the door well? What am I actually having bugs on? What am I actually taking time to fix later? Right. What You need to start looking at actual results-driven evaluation of your code. And in, until you get to that point, you really can't do anything else. So that's definitely uh, a thing to think about. So that's probably a, a good final tip. Results-driven. Results. It sounds like something Don Matrick says on the Zynga thing. We are a results-driven company driving our customer values. efficiency with our employee robustness yes. towards, yeah. towards a better like, tomorrow. Do you have any idea what any of those words meant? He's like, nope. Nope. I think he knows, what all, all, I think he knows what all the words mean, but he's using them skillfully to avoid saying anything specific. Right? Because that is a, like... <laughs> You know, optimizing process sounds good. Yeah. Like, and it sounds like that'll turn into money. Yeah. Because you're probably spending money you're on optimizing. process. optimizing. And I mean, you've optimized it. Yeah. When do you not yes. want to optimize? This is a total, like, we need to do a whole thing on okay. that business talk. All right. Next yeah. top, next podcast yeah. will be we'll do business that. speak. Business speak. All right. And McGruff. And McGruff the Crime Dog. Well, yeah. we've been covering McGruff the Crime Dog for many weeks. Yeah, well, we're going to get on that. Take yeah. a bite out of crime, Jeff. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, if you've got any uh, comments on this, give us an email at yes. podcast at yes. jeffandcaseyshow.com. Or don't, because we're kind of out of things to talk about with the programming. Like, yeah. That's what I got for you. Go out and be a better programmer. I can't help you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> None of it works anyway. Everything's breaking. So we're going to be in this bad place no matter what. Well, and pretty soon. It, it, I mean, and then like you're yeah. just, no matter what, like, hey, yeah. you take it personally. And you're yeah. like, this is a, yeah. I'm a craftsman. Right. Like I make furniture. Yeah. I make tears code. And, rain. It's and I'm making and rain. this. But you're going to slowly be surrounded by more and more poop around your yeah. diamond anyway. Yes. So that's a separate little sadness. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely a sadness because it is true that, you know, the amount of code that a user experiences that is written by you compared to all the rest of the code that they're experiencing day to day. I mean, you know, yes, you could be like, I am going to be the bright light of reason in the dark world <laughs> right. of chaos or whatever. Like, I'm going to bring order to the You're madness. You're going to be the candle in the But darkness. it's going to be, like, it's going to be five minutes of their day that something didn't crash, and then they're going to go right back to open <laughs> Facebook's fucking, like, feed, iPad feed, and bam, crash, right? Ran out of memory for the PHP interpreter. God mm -hmm. knows what the fuck they shipped, right? So, you know, at some level it's true. You know, there's nothing you can do about that unless you really if you got some big old hairy balls and you're going to do like, you're going to write the next operating system or you're going to revolutionize stuff. And I, man, if you do, that'd be awesome. More but, to you. but unless you're going to go out on that, yeah, you do have to put it in a little bit of perspective and go, yeah, you can be a great programmer and you should do it for the internal integrity. You should do it for the Buddhist 
quest for your <laughs> personal enlightenment, but be realistic about what that's going to mean in the grand scheme of things. Uh, you do have to maybe not set your hopes too high. So, All right, everybody. Yes. Well, we will see you next week. We will see you next week. If you want to contest here at the Jeff and Casey Show podcast at jeffandcaseyshow.com, you can check us out. You can get us on Twitter at, at @cmuratory because Jeff has rage quit Twitter. Yeah, we should you probably do no a podcast on that. Him. I rage you quit everything. You did. So, yeah. yeah, you can you can hit me up on Twitter but you can't hit Jeff up and I'm sorry. Yes. So And it's also jeffandcaseyshow.com. Jeffandcaseyshow.com. you're working on some web stuff. So yeah, it's, well, it's a little part-time. hard to find. It's pretty yes, that's the so, problem. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yes, it is jeffandcaseyshow.com where yes. you can see all the shows you can. and uh, their transcripts. There are uh, cartoons, uh, illustrations that, yes. that uh, there are uh, comics up there that Nolan that drew. Nolan did that are really yes. funny yep. um, for the second season only for the though, second season. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody, and thanks. we will see you next week. We'll see you next week.